The following is a presentation of Muddy River News. Have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? So this, so this will be our, our green room talk. Uh-huh. So there's a Nobel Prize, Nobel Prize uh, physics winning mm-hmm. guy who just won the Nobel Prize, and he was on a, uh, a very popular podcast recently. And he said that he had imposter syndrome, meaning that when he won the Nobel Prize, he couldn't believe that he won it, and he couldn't believe that somebody wanted to pay him a million dollars, and he couldn't believe that he was going to go to Switzerland or wherever the mm. Alfred Nobel mm. building is, and they were going to have him sign a book. When he got there, the master of ceremonies asked him to sign his name in the book to make it real, and this Nobel Prize winner says... He forgot his name. Well, he said, I can't believe I'm signing this book, but I don't really think I'm worthy. And the MC said, well, I'm going to show you something. So he scrolled back two or three pages, and he pointed to a name, and he goes, this gentleman right here, this name that I'm pointing to, this guy also had imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. and that guy's name was Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein said that he wasn't worthy to sign any book that had Isaac Newton's name in it. And Isaac Newton had imposter syndrome in his, he wrote in his writings, Mm -hmm. that he was trying to emulate a certain kind of a hero. And that hero, he couldn't emulate this guy except for one thing, and he chose to be celibate. So according to lore, according to Isaac Newton's own writings, Mm -hmm. Isaac Newton was celibate because his hero was celibate, his his hero was Jesus Christ. So there's this all of this like imposter syndrome. So I kind of have imposter syndrome being in front of you right now because I don't don't know if I'm worthy sitting here talking to you. Oh, mercy. Okay, so my guest today is uh, the illustrious Lee Lindsay. And uh, Lee, I don't know if you know this, but when I first met you, I didn't call you Lee. I called you Miss Lindsay because I it was not allowed to call adults by their first name. Mm-hmm. I met you when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember I did two jobs for you. I fed your cat and cut your grass. But what I want to start with here is every time I drive down Gardner Expressway, I see a sign that says the Oakley Lindsay Center. Right. Is that you? Well, uh, the center does not belong to the families, no. We just helped a little bit financially so they could build a little bigger, better, more efficient center. Okay. So your family helped build the Oakley Lindsay Center? Yes, the original drawing at towards the end of the day when you're really trying to decide if you want to go with this plan or another plan, and it was a consensus that it was too small and that there's no point in building it if it's not going to be large enough to really bring a lot of people in. And so uh, the idea was whoever comes up with the additional funding to make it bigger and better, we would name the building after you. So okay. that's how that came to be. So what I, there's a lot of things that I know about you. So I just want to kind of talk about some of these things. I've got some questions. I, I, I want to ask some questions. Uh, you chose to go into teaching as opposed to media. Mm-hmm. Why did you do that? 
Because um, I think that is my calling. I mean, from the time I can remember, I was a little Sunday school teacher. I was a teacher with the Brownies. I was an assistant dance teacher for my dance teachers growing up. And actually, I was going to, my goal initially in my major in college was sociology. I wanted to be a social worker. And my senior year, the summer before my senior year, which is not a good time to change your major. <laughs> However, I went uh, to um, work at Camp Callahan that summer. And I had never had an opportunity to be around special needs kids at all. And I was the waterfront director, lifeguard, and camp counselor, three in one. And I spent the summer out there for the most part. And at first, I just thought on day one, oh, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I mean, the, the sounds and, and uh, everything about it was, was totally new to me, and I felt very inadequate. But probably by day three, I had fallen in love with all the kids, the little ones, the big ones. We even had some adults, um, one in particular, uh, who was allowed to come to camp, and he hung out with us, the camp counselors. We let him smoke and treated him like an adult. Well, he wasn't an adult. He was probably the same age as me at the time, probably. Are you from Quincy? Mm-hmm. Born and raised? Yeah. Well, yes, until college, and I went away to school. And then I Where'd you go to school? University of Southern Mississippi. Um, for my last three years, and my grandmother, Lindsay, who was a Southerner, born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, said her two granddaughters had to go to school in the South, a girl's school, and I think she wanted us to turn into little Southern bells. And at the time, I was busy being a rebel without a cause, so the two clashed somewhat, but. Indeed, my sister Barbie, four years older than me, went to Gulf Park College for young ladies in Gulfport, Mississippi, right across the street from the beautiful, beautiful Gulf of Mexico. Beautiful school, beautiful everything. And when I went through my one year, freshman year, I think I broke every rule that was known to man. You? Well, just dumb things. Okay. like. Being at the Coke machine after hours. <gasps> you did or, that? Or uh, being on senior hall, which was sacred, you know. I mean, we just looked at the rules and just decided, wouldn't it be fun just to break <laughs> everyone? So we just check them off the list. Um, and that would certainly show how immature I was. Uh, the next year, um, I transferred as quickly as I could to University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, two and a half, three hours to New Orleans and about an hour and 10 minutes to the Gulf Coast. So beautiful location. Hattiesburg, I've heard a lot of really good things about Hattiesburg. Yeah, it's a great college town, but back in that, at that time, it was totally segregated. There were uh, drinking fountains for blacks, for whites, different restrooms. Um, 
the only really on campus um, African American people you would see would be those who were uh, working uh, as maids or working in the cafeteria. And um, thank God we have come a long, long way. A long way. So there were no. And that would be true with all the universities in the South at that time. They were all like that? Yes, and the idea, how did they get by with that? The Southern, white Southern attitude was, um, well, they, they, they like it that way. Um, isn't that ridiculous? Even using the word they, it's sort of separate. It, it's, it's um, yes. thank God, for Dr. Martin Luther King, who really turned things around. What was, okay, so do you have any, um, what was your experience of that, of, of when things started to turn around or when those voices got louder? Well, it took probably, uh, there might have been, I don't remember if I was newly married and living in Atlanta or if I was a student at the time when the students came down from up north, those Yankee boys, to register uh, blacks in these small towns because they were being turned away and told that they couldn't register to vote. And it had been mandated that they obviously did have the right to vote. And uh, it was really a death sentence for some. You know, their homes were destroyed by white people who were not ready to make that change. And um, it's hard, really, in this land of the free, in home of the brave, it's hard to go back, I'm sure, for people your age and think, did, were people really, really treated like that? And the answer, sadly, is yes, they were. When you came back from school, did you come back to Quincy? Where, where did you go after college? Uh, I, uh, I met Grant Wayman from Wexford, Pennsylvania, a Yankee boy, and uh, he came to play football. And by the, I think that was probably my junior year, maybe my senior year. <clears throat> and uh, we knew each other a whole three months and decided we were going to get married, which was quite a surprise to my parents. What did your parents say about that? Well, I think they were um, uh, shocked. I think probably they didn't think it was a good idea at the time. But he was um, very tall, <laughs> and we had a lot in common. And of course, it's, it sounded I, I later had buyer's remorse <laughs> to some degree, but um, he came to, he was redshirted that year because um, of his grades, maybe as he transferred in from University of Alabama. So um, yes, we knew each other three months and then I announced to my parents, we're gonna come to Quincy for Thanksgiving and I want to get married and we can just have a small, ceremony of just the family and uh, at Union Methodist Church, which was my home church and my parents' church. And so mom and dad, God love them, 
They, uh, oh, the one redeeming quality that Grant had was he was a journalism major. So, wow, that just fit right in with our family and our goals. So in my little mind, I just thought this is just, just um, perfect. What was your family doing at the time here in Quincy? What, what was their place of business? Well, uh, the Quincy Herald wig, and my mother did what most women did at that time. They stayed home and raised the children and did a thousand other things on the side. My mom was a great volunteer for the Red Cross and probably any worthwhile endeavor, she would be right there helping. And my dad did a lot of volunteer work too. My sister Barbie um, was four years older so she was living here in Quincy until she married Dennis Williams, who lived in, grew up here, but lived in Chicago on Lakeshore Drive in a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful view. And um, Barbie uh, was really gifted in sales for some reason. So uh, after they were married, Barbie was busy recruiting people and selling condominiums and, and real estate in Chicago, most of it lakefront properties. And Danny was a financial analyst. And so they were there, mom and dad were in Quincy and Gran and I were in Hattiesburg until uh, I graduated. And then Are there I don't even remember going to my graduation ceremony. I remember we just wanted to to get in the little, I had a little MG convertible white and he had an ugly Ford Falcon. And we packed our, our uh, furniture was made out of bricks and boards because then we could disassemble it every time we moved somewhere. Um, but it all, it, and we had, a, we had adopted a cat at that time. Not Artie. Uh, no, not Artie. This was for our cat. listeners, I when I was a kid, I was 12 years old, and I just, you know, I remember meeting you the very first time. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you when it was. It was March of 1989. Oh. Okay, mm -hmm. that's when we. That's when my family moved to Quincy, mm -hmm. and I remember meeting you and meeting your cat. Your your cat named Artie. Mm -hmm greatest cat yeah. would just go everywhere. Yeah. And um, I remember you would you would get on your motorcycle. So can I ask you a question about the My motorcycle? Harley. Your Harley. Uh -huh. So your Harley, you, you don't have to tell that story about uh, when people think that you yeah. know how to spell. So what's the story about the, so you, drive, so you used to ride Harley Davidson's. For 30 years I rode motorcycles. The first 10 I rode as a passenger. Yeah. on the back and that was fun but it's much more fun if you control the bike and sitting up front so after being a passenger for 10 years I bought um, my first Harley and was it the I had three different uh, yeah it was black sportster with wire wheels and then two heritage classics and a Springer um, heavy bikes but I just yeah. love to ride. I love that sound. Yeah, that you're rumble. a Harley 
gal. And I live on 18th Street, so I hear those bikes going up and down the street in nice weather. And now I think, oh, darn. I think I'd love to buy another. I think I was driving by and I said something to you about, you know, have you ridden your bike lately? When did you give it up? Um, maybe a couple years ago. Maybe two How long did you ride? Ago. Maybe three, 30 years. My goodness. That's I rode, um, yeah. And of all the things that I enjoy doing, like skydiving is fun, and I'm a pilot. I have my multi-rating, my instrument rating, my private pilot. Are you currently flying planes? Uh, if I wanted to go out and fly without an instructor or another pilot in the plane, I'd have to have a, a flight physical and then just fly around the patch with an instructor and do a couple touch and goes. And Have you ever ridden a motorcycle to the airport to oh, almost, fly a plane? Almost every day when I was riding a bike in the summer. You're like Tom Cruise in Top Gun. <laughs> Um, so I, so how long, how long have you been flying planes? Oh, gee, I don't know. 20 years. You know, so this is, I know, I know some of these things about you. I mean, I'm, I'm asking questions because I'm, I'm, I'm asking you questions that I don't know the answers to mostly. Like, for example, I, I didn't know that you rode for 30 years. I didn't know that you, um, so what is the, what is the kind of plane Maybe you already said it. What kind of plane well, have you? Well, we bought I, bought, I had my own plane, uh, which was a Piper Archer, an older model, low wing, four passenger. I like low wing. I like the looks of a low wing plane. But high wing are better for training. And so eventually, as my life is rolling along and, and uh, marrying, I changed um, husbands along the way. And um, we had and ran and operated the FBO at the Quincy Airport, which was a new chapter. As I look at my life as different chapters. Sure. Um, it, it, first of all, it enabled me to be at the airport and to have the time or, or make good use of the time to get my other ratings for the plane. And then we decided that we would go to uh, QU board and uh, see if we could talk them into having an aviation degree program because many colleges Purdue has an incredible flight school uh, University of Illinois has a great school um, and so Sharon Hafez who is um, uh, a pilot good pilot and uh, she went with uh, Mike to the board and really pitched all the reasons why they should consider and they bought into it and so we were able to put together a flight school I taught intro to aviation like for five years oh my gosh and then uh, Mike did all the flying part initially and Sharon too taught and also taught uh, in training in the plane itself and that program is still going on today and I thought for a, a few <clears throat> months Andy Dow who ran our program who did an amazing job he taught ground school but he also taught the flying part 
and he decided to right now I think to sign on with an airline because airlines are crying for pilots they will give you a huge bonus just just to walk in the door and if they hire you it's just incredible so we we couldn't find uh, anyone in the area uh, QU doesn't pay uh, as well as some other universities. But um, about two weeks ago, the Lord answered our prayer. And right here in Quincy, we have a Delta pilot who is uh, on leave right now from the airlines. And he is loving the idea of being a college professor and teaching ground school and teaching oh, wow. the. Um, I don't think a lot of people know that QU has that. No, I program. think they probably don't. Uh, that's so what are um you've lived in quincy all your life right? mm -hmm. and what well are, not all my life I well mean, not all right you yeah. when i was went away to college i went to in, to the deep south right. and then married when i was in college and then when we gra i graduated we moved to atlanta Georgia and my husband at the time went to University of Georgia Extension in Atlanta and I think I was probably one of the very first special ed teachers in um, Atlanta at that time because public law 94142 had passed stating that all special needs children can be educated in the public school system. Before that, if you had a handicapped child, they could easily say, oh, we can't accommodate you, sorry, wow. and close the door in your face. Did you teach here in Quincy? Mm-hmm. When I moved back to Quincy, uh, I taught, I had actually my choice of four different schools at the time. I'm, uh, my degree is in special ed learning disabilities and behavior disorder. Be behavior disorder works well with my personality, I think, too, because I just love the kids. I love teaching. There are days when you know, you'd sort of pray, Lord, I hope so-and-so doesn't come today. But then when, when he did walk through the door, then you could smile and give him a hug and say, we're so happy you're here. But that's, I feel like you're, that's a genuine feeling of, oh, of, it is. of both, of, of, yeah. of like playfully saying, I hope that person doesn't walk uh -huh. through, but also being happy when they yes, walk through. Yes, of, of course. So how long did you do that? I taught for 25 years, Okay. special education, and I loved my career. And I had planned to be a social worker, which is to some degree in some areas somewhat similar. But after my Camp Callahan experience, my senior year, that was my senior year, I went back to school and changed my major to special ed because it was a new field. I got a full scholarship. I got a stipend to live on. And since Grant and I were married and he decided he didn't want to play football, so he quit, which went along with his football scholarship. So we lived off of my little stipend. But it was very romantic. Yeah. It was very, yes, I have a lot of happy memories of those years. What was, uh, what was the one thing when doing that kind of work? Because doing that kind of work, it takes a special person to do what you did, like teaching in that realm. 
I think, I think teachers, period, you have to be yeah. a special kind of person to be a teacher. Oh, yes. And they're Truly. It being overworked and underpaid, I think, is generally the, the mantra of, of, of what people think is going on generally. But I think, what are some of the things that, how did you, um, what did you draw, where do you draw your, your power from? Where do you draw your inspiration to do that kind of work? Well, I just have to say that I love Jesus, and I am love the Holy Spirit, and I feel so sad for Christians who really don't know the Holy Spirit, but he is a person in the Godhead. The Heavenly Father is our Heavenly Father, our Father, and Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit is our helper. Do you think? So I feel guided to be in that field because it's a, I, it's a population that I really care about. That's why I love the well house that we were able to, to bring about for women coming out of incarceration or drug addiction to live in a Christ-centered home. And um, oftentimes I put myself in their place when we're reading the applications from these women. Uh, jail ministry, uh, I'm blessed to be able to do jail ministry on Saturdays when we rotate with um, the other girls on the team. And um, I really care. Uh, and I read their, I read their applications and almost every, almost every single woman who has applied has been molested as a child. And then they grow up with that shame. You know, little kids don't understand what, what is happening. They just know it's shameful. And then they seek out people in, to come and be a part of their life that are, are not um, able to lift them up because they have had their own struggles. And it's a very sad cycle of which typically leads then to drug addiction, which then leads to incarceration, which then leads to getting out. But the girls, when they get out, they stand on the corner. They don't have, they don't have anything, really, when they leave jail. They had the clothes they had on when the house was raided where they were. If it's summertime when they were arrested, then it's, they're in their summer clothes uh, waiting uh, and and looking where where can I go where can I, where is a safe place for me to go who do they know they know their drug dealer they know the people they used with uh, so they go back to that so then it's not long before we go to jail ministry and there they are there they are again my first day of jail ministry there were two girls former students of mine in the cell. And did you know that when you saw them? Yeah, I did, and they looked at me, and, and both of us said, what are you doing here? <laughs> I said that to them, and they said that to me. Did They didn't know that you were there for them? Well, they did. We had, you know, we yeah, carried well, Bibles, okay. and, sure. you know, and we sit at the table. And in the old, stinky, smelly, disgusting, ugly, hor horrific jail that we used to go to. Yes. Um, moldy. Oh, it's just the most smelly place. When you leave, 
You could just, sm it's kind of like going in Elder's, where when you would leave, you could smell Elder's restaurant. Was there mold in there, just since I got you Oh, here? of course there was mold. Because there's, uh, there's some yeah, stuff know. going on. You know about that? Mm -hmm. Of uh, course, there's there's black mold, which we're told is the danger mold, and the other mold might make you sick, oh, but isn't uh, lethal. So... As a person, I hope you don't mind me saying this. And uh, you know, before this, before we started talking here, you know, I I said that I'm going to try to stay away from controversial things. But as as a woman who does not seem to be moved by wealth or fame, how is it possible that I see you all the time? You are with, and we're not going to name names, but I I see you not caring about wealth or fame or any of of the material things in life and you're you have so much spirit i've got a question so i i see you sometimes and i don't get your attention because i don't want to interrupt what you're doing but um without saying locations i'll see you in a random um a, a full parking lot at a grocery store mm -hmm. so, somewhere and you are driving you're one of your vehicles and my ford f-150 your ford f-150 with a license plate that says hey y'all <laughs> <laughs> so you know we just have to tell what does your other license plate say harley harley yeah. and how's it spelled h-a-r-l-e-e-y and of course someone stopped me once in a parking lot and said hey lady you spelled that wrong and i said well my name is lee and I ride Harleys, so I spelled it that way. So anytime that I see you, you'll, you'll be driving, and out of the vehicle will be these women. And they stay very close to you, mm -hmm. and you lead them somewhere, and I don't know where you're taking them, and you don't even have to say necessarily what's going on, mm -hmm. but I see this often. Are you, I get the impression that you work a lot mm -hmm. and are you really I mean how much are you doing this how how busy are you well my friends say you are too busy you're just way too busy I I feel like that I'm a lot the Lord has blessed me with good health and I have opportunity to serve and I want these women to know who they are in Christ in, in Christ they are a new creation. All the scriptures that point to leave the past behind, don't dwell on the past, see I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. I mean, there's so many scriptures that, and they are precious. I tell them, one, every now and then one of the girls will say, Miss Lee, you just spoil us. And I said, well, I know, but that's because you are a princess. What? said well you are the daughters see it's right here in the bible you're the daughters of the king of kings and lord of lords that makes you a princess you know that's that's got to mean a lot to them when they hear that you know there's a lot of people who uh, don't know that much about the ancient texts and this is we're definitely not going to do a bible study here today but maybe you and i can do one afterwards but i will tell you this there is something about the ancient texts and there's an incredible amount of wisdom. And, yes. and I know that uh, out of all the books I've ever read, you know, 
uh, th this podcast is not about the Bible. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's just that you know it comes up because it's a collection. The Bible is a collection of books, mm -hmm. and there's an incredible amount of wisdom in them. And so you take, you draw power from that, mm -hmm. and you draw power from from exactly what you're talking about. Do you? Where do you think is where is society going? Is society on the upswing, gaining more knowledge and power, or is it? the opposite of that and losing it's losing the ancient knowledge what do you well, think is going on right now i certainly think uh and this has been spoken on, even on mainstream media that um in america we are losing ground in terms of our christian beliefs Many of us, including myself, believe that this country was founded on Christian values, and I think we have gotten a long, 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 long way away from how things should be. Do you, are you concerned generally about the direction? Is it always getting worse? Do we, do we have ups and I mean, of course, there are ups and downs. There are positive things that happen once in a while, and there's negative things that happen. But do you think the trajectory the trajectory is up or down? I mean, do you do you think we're going down from here? Do you, do you, do you see? Do you think it's going to continue mm -hmm. going down? Uh, if you read the book of the prophecies in the book of Daniel, and then read Revelations, it states very clearly that there will be, and I think we're getting closer and closer to that time when uh, planet Earth will suffer the consequences of turning away from God. What do you say to people who... And then yeah. Jesus will come back, and then things will be on the rise for sure. So in Adams County, there is a kind of a propensity. There's a very large percentage of people that agree with that. What do you say to the people who hear that, and they're like, oh, hogwash. That's, no, come on, you're like... You know, really, you're gonna sit here and quote the Bible? I say, I mean, I happen to, I happen to look at the ancient texts, mm -hmm. and I can see the wisdom mm -hmm. in that. And I've gone up and down in my life. I'll mm -hmm. tell you, I was, I did not. How, how, how do I say it? When I was younger, I read those things, and they were kind of placed on me, or I was told. Mm -hmm. Well, you grew this, up in the Catholic faith. I did. I did, you know, going to St. Peter, going to QND, but I mean, even people who go to senior high, go to public schools, I mm -hmm. mean, they, there's lots of people, there's like some better Christians that go to the public schools than the ones that go to the right. private yeah. Catholic schools. Yeah. But so what do you say to people? Because some people hear that and they're like, nah, you know, I don't want to hear any more of this, this stuff about Daniel and Revelation. What, what do you say to that? I feel very, I feel very um, sad for individuals who have turned away. Um, and I, I don't know that I've ever confronted anyone in a conversation. Well, probably I have to some degree. Rather than confront, I might have attempted to persuade or to, um, to ask why if they, first of all, ha have you read the Bible? Many people will say if they don't know the Bible, <clears throat> they'll quote things that aren't in the Bible. So how can you uh, 
uh, turn your back on Christianity if you haven't read God's word. And the most of the, I would say 99% of the people who have turned against him haven't read his word. They haven't read it. And the power uh, that I experience at the crossing is um, very, very powerful, very powerful. The music's powerful, the messages are powerful. They talk about things that really matter in our world today. Um, most priests, pastors, Vermont Street Methodist Church, where I was uh, spent my early years, uh, I'm sure Pastor Patty wouldn't touch any of these subjects that Clayton or Jerry will talk about in terms of what the Bible says. Addiction is a absolutely brutal human condition. Yes. And um, I've, I've, I, I, I think everybody has, not, I shouldn't say everybody because that's not fair, but I, do you think most people either have at least one addiction, oh, one kind certainly. of really big vice? Mm-hmm. Mine's mine's coffee, mm-hmm. and I can't say I don't want to talk about the other one. It's not terribly, it's not horrible, horrible. If I said it, eh, I probably shouldn't say it. But you know, it's a very private it's your thing. show. You can say yeah. It well, I mean, I huh, I gotta be real. Yeah, I feel like I can say anything, but also uh, I gotta be careful what I say too. But uh, one thing that I want to talk about because you've been so patient with me during this conversation, I did promise you. Mm-hmm that we would kind of move towards a project mm-hmm. that you are currently doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanna talk about it for two reasons. One, it, well, I'm interested, yeah. and, and I promise that we would talk about it. Mm-hmm. But also, I wanna use this as, if, if anybody hears this and they want to contribute mm-hmm. in some kind of way, I think that would, that would be a nice bonus. Sure. So can you talk about a project that you're currently involved in because you are so busy? And like I, I said, I told you about how how, how I how I see you around town, okay? Sometimes I sometimes I see you at El Rancherito. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I see you uh, heading towards the little Greek, or maybe it's Hobby Lobby, or you know, I see you. I, I see you. Greek to me, I'm a big fan. Oh, of Greek to food. me. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, good. Very good place. I remember when Greek to me was on Sixth Street. Yes, and I they know. moved out right right near your house your apartment yeah right right next door yeah that was back when the uh, christian science reading room mm-hmm. was there mm-hmm. right next to greek to me so um that's a good restaurant um so talk about a program that you're currently doing that you're proud of and you think it benefits a lot of people and we'll talk about how somebody could contribute mm-hmm. great or just come and volunteer or, or come and volunteer i have two really really passionate passions. One would be Habitat for Humanity, which is a Christian housing ministry dedicated to help low-income working, and the key word here is working families to have the opportunity to own their own home. And my second passion is our precious ladies at the Well House who kept coming back to jail, be out, be back in jail, out, back in jail, they need a safe, safe place, so we bought 701 Broadway, which is right a few blocks from here. Yeah. And it is a program for women coming out of incarceration or drug addiction to live in a Christ-centered home. We have a wonderful program for our ladies 
I take them out to eat every Monday and, and then take them on to the crossing for regeneration. And I take them out to eat every Thursday and then we go to church, seven o'clock, six o'clock church at the crossing. I take them to a symphony, I take them to the theater. I, I want them to, most of these women have never, never had opportunities to, to really see the quality of life that we have here. You know, and one of the ladies said to me once, Miss Lee, I used to think Quincy was just a sleazy town, but you know, I, I think it's I think it's a pretty nice town now. <laughs> well, I said, yeah, hanging out on Fourth and Cherry, you know, buying weed from your neighbor is not, you know, there are other things in life that you can be doing. And sadly, sometimes the ladies um, revert back to their old ways. Um, because and have to be rescued again because of well, addiction yes and it's i call it's disrespectful but i kind of mean it to be disrespectful i call these men who prey on our ladies as billy i call him billy bob that billy bob will swoop in and just when you're on the verge of graduating from our program and we help the girls the women get jobs and assist them in any way we can to have a better life. And if Billy Bob comes along and he um, has things that he wants uh, and she just wants to be loved and cared for and it never ends well. And oftentimes it's their back having to say, my name is Mary, I'm one day clean. Where before they could say, my name is Mary, I'm two years, six months, and one day clean. How does somebody get involved in Habitat for Humanity if they want to join? We, yes, uh, just go online, find our website, Quincy Area Habitat for Humanity. Our ministry is to build houses with low-income families. They work 150 hours of sweat equity alongside us, volunteers. And that is the bonding experience when you can really get to know each other and they get to know a lot of our uh, volunteers or doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, just different people from different walks of life and they get to, to meet the family. And then uh, when we finish the house, we sell it to them. They have a 20 year mortgage, interest free, no profit. So they pay basically for the materials. That went into the house. At the end of the day, they have a home. And the most beautiful thing is what it does for children. They feel more secure. They improve their grades. They tend to graduate from uh, high school. They tend to seek uh, other uh, levels of education. One little guy who was six years old, and it was probably the night before we were going to get started on his house, and I had some spray paint and so I I made a big box and then another box and I said this is this is going to be your room right here this and he said well and he looked up at me with this little toothless smile and he said Lee are you going to be our our landlord and I said no you're not going to have a landlord you're going to be your own landlord mom they said we're not going to have a landlord we're going to have our own we're going to be our own landlord and it was so precious because that word landlord 
It's scary, especially yes. if you don't have the rent. Yes. Another little guy I said the same thing to, showed him where his room would be, and he, he just looked up at me with these little smile, and he said, I guess the best part, Lee, is that we'll never, ever, 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 ever have to move again. Wow. So believe it or not, we are done. Mm -hmm. You are, I think, if you don't mind me saying this, you are the coolest, low-key, hippest, <laughs> most giving philanthropist, probably in Quincy. And um, I'm so happy to know you. I, I love you very much. Well, and I you have you taught me so much over the years. And you teach by example. And you don't go around shaking your fist. You just do the work. And Quincy is uh, very lucky to have you. You are a local treasure. <laughs> you're, uh, and you're so humble. And you probably don't even like me saying these things. But I have to say it out loud. And I would say it to you anyway. But uh, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me, All Frankie. Right. I'll see you soon, okay? <laughs> yes. All right.